Four Brothers Be Back. Four brothers, we back. Um, how you guys feeling today? Good money, man. You know, I can't call it. Just got through eating something. You know, that's my, my go-to hobby. <laughs> no, no doubt. <laughs> man, I'm good today, man. I'm feeling good. I just finished watching the draft, the last dance episodes. So I'm ready to talk, man. I'm ready. How you making out, Jay? How you holding? I'm holding up good, man. We are down Chris for this episode, but he'll be back. Uh, ready with plenty of ammo for next next episode, so uh, keep your ear out to the streets for that. But uh, I just got one quick PSA, Clowny, come on down to Tennessee, man. We need you. Um, I got a lifetime supply of uh, Prince's hot chicken, whatever you want in cash flow, man. Anything you need, I got you, man. Just sign the contract, man. We need you. Cashville, Tennessee, man. Yes, sir. We need it. Yes, sir. But all right, um, from there, we're going to hop into uh, just a quick recap of this draft. We're going to start out with uh, who you guys think had the best draft of um, this virtual draft of 2020. Rodney, your first up. Oh, man, best best draft of 2020. I had Nailed to, it. Yes, sir. I had to go with Dallas. Dallas, I thought I thought they couldn't do nothing wrong, man. It was It was one of the better drafts I've seen in my lifetime, watching the team just like, continuously make solid pick after solid pick. Like, without players playing at all, without them playing it down, and you just took everybody they grabbed from college straight to the NFL and we just did projection-wise, I yeah. feel like they killed it. They knocked it out the park um, from round one through round seven. I feel like they didn't have a miss at all. Dallas killed it, unfortunately. I think they stole the draft, and unfortunately for Chris and the Eagles, I feel like they stole it directly from them. All right, Rod, so I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Uh Right now, your final prediction for our playoff teams. I'm joking, but um, do you think Dallas is a playoff team right now? Dallas is a playoff team. Yeah. Okay. Dallas is a playoff team. I definitely. I, I mean, in the NFC. Yeah. With the with the seven team seating, I I think Dallas is the front runner for that division right now. That was my next question. Really. Yeah, okay. they're the front. They're they're the front runner for the division. I don't see how what they did in comparison to what Philly did. I mean, even last year, you think about it, they had kind of an implosion. Sorry to go left when you're on the topic. But mm-hmm. Philly, what Dallas kind of imploded and Philly made the playoffs. If Dallas had half of what they have now, I think they, they make the playoffs. Okay. All right. Cool, cool. What about you, Adnana? What you feeling? Man, a team I, I, I thought knocked it out the park was the Minnesota Vikings, man. They came out their first four picks and got all starters. Start with number one, the receiver, Justin Jefferson. He's going to make a lot of people forget about Stephon Diggs in Minnesota. Then they come back with Jeff Gladney. He's coming in, plug and play. He's replacing Xavier Rose. They got a tackle from Boise that a lot of people had going in the back end in the first round, the second round, Ezra uh, Cleveland. And my favorite pick of their whole draft was the fourth-round pick or third-round pick, uh, a corner by the name of Dantzler from Mississippi State. What I like about him is he only dropped because he had a slow 40 time. But if you put on the tape, the guy could play. Um, he's the only guy this whole year that I saw hold Jamal Chase and Justin Jefferson to um, to low numbers. Like, he is a press corner with size. He has play speed. He doesn't have testing, combine speed. 
but uh, he'll come in and play from day one. I like what they did. Okay. All right, man. That's Listen, that's the next level analysis that you're not getting anywhere else. To be honest with you, I didn't know that uh, he did that bit of a job against Jefferson and Chase, so I definitely like that insight there that you provided. Um, That's definitely some solid stuff there. Mm-hmm. Now, quick thing, Minnesota, right? Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people saying they had a really good draft, and I'm not doubting it. I, I want to respect what everyone's saying. But based on their draft history, though, I think it's Spielman's their GM. He mm-hmm. hasn't nailed a first or a second round pick consistently in like the last like at least four to five years. So are you confident with that guy making those picks? It, he's had some really bad drafts in the past, especially in the first two rounds. He's it's it's funny you say it. it's funny you say that because you know Xavier Rose and Sharif Floyd both flashed and, and then between injuries and just poor play, <laughs> uh, you know, at least for Xavier Rose's poor play and Sharif Floyd was injuries, and then you think about Anthony Barr and those like they just they never to me they never really they live up they didn't live up to the hype mm-hmm. his his later round picks he actually hit on those a lot better I feel like they've been cleaning prospects they've they've worked out but as we know those are kind of I'm not gonna say you're going on a win with those guys but those guys that have a lot of boom or bust potential in those later picks because they have like different issues whether it be character issues health issues or they just need more time to develop. Uh, not right. You're not going on a limb. I agree with that. I think those are boomer busts. Those later rounds is brief. If you're going to gamble, you're going to gamble there. I mean, you also got to give him credit for a couple of his picks. Uh, Dalvin Cook. You have Harrison Smith, Pro Bowler. Um, so I mean, it, it's hit or miss. The, the 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 draft is not a perfect science or perfect art form. You know, it's hit or miss. The players look good. You bring them in, and for one reason or other, it goes left. So I mean, you have to give him credit too for the picks that he made that worked out. All right. That's not, some good No, what you said with that, like my issue is he 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 drafted Xavier Rose and you, you, my, you, the, my one of my favorite lines you said is the roles have been open the last mm-hmm. few seasons and the roles yeah. have been open. He drafted <laughs> he drafted there's been no detours, no speed bumps, <laughs> no speed bumps. It's like the Autobahn. <laughs> Everybody's good. You do whatever you want out there in those roads. And then Trey Waynes, and they, you know, they struggle. And I do. I love Gladney a lot, and I like Dantzler a lot. I mean, I'm hoping that those dudes can fill in for what he failed to. I'm, I'm not going to say what he failed to do, what those players failed to live up to. Uh, I mean, but Xavier Rose, with Xavier Rose, he's one of those things. You know, we always talk about it in free agency. He kind of get he, he got he got paid, and he kind of just turned it off because um, he was good before he got paid. But as soon as he got paid, the last two years, that's when the Rose be all. Traffic's been coming through all them roads, but before then, the roads were closed. Like, to even people like Julio Jones, the roads were closed, you know? Very good point. We'll see. Uh, definitely, it's going to be interesting to see because, like I said, his draft history, he'll hit on those later guys. The first two rounds, it's got to be your money runs. I feel like he's lacking a little bit, but it's a big year for him, so we'll see what happens out of Minnesota up there. And I'm going to jump into my team. I think Denver did a lot of things that I like. They showed that Locks their guy. They're gonna do everything possible to make Lock feel like he's their guy. And when the front office is backing you, that's great for a young player to boost their confidence. Especially when it's a guy like John Elway backing you. He doesn't have the greatest track record as a GM or an executive. But if you're a young quarterback, I'm sure that's someone he probably grew up idolizing or watching the film of. So that's big for his confidence when John Elway is co-signing and showing that he believes in him and wants to make him succeed. So the Judy pick, I, lo- I liked it. Again, the guy was supposed to be a top 10 pick. At worst, maybe top 12, and they got him a little bit lower than that, which is great. Hamler, I'm not 
super crazy about him, but he is a defined role. Sutton on the outside, Judy intermediate. Hamler's going to be working the deep part of the field. And then they got slot DB to cover up for Harris. He's lost. And then they drafted some linemen. So I think Denver did a lot of good things helping the running game with uh, Lindsey and Gordon, drafting these young players, Font from last year, and even have the guy Deshaun Hamilton from Penn State they're looking to maybe take another step forward at some point. So I like a lot of what Denver did to give their young quarterback some confidence going forward. So that was my pick there, definitely. That was I, – I love that Denver draft too, man. I think that you hit on a lot of good things, specifically all the positive, positive things in the, the team building they did in the draft on offense because they killed it in free agency on defense. I mean, they, they brought in Casey via trade. They brought in uh, A.J. Boye via trade. And they brought in – they sprinkled in other, another few veterans to assist and help out. So I do think that – Denver did the right thing by helping a quarterback, grabbing a couple weapons. We always say, how do you help a young quarterback? you got to get weapons for him. And like you said, showing that ultimate trust by believing in him, actually going out and getting players that's players and not waiting until fourth and fifth and sixth round, hoping dudes pan out. And you actually getting high-caliber players to come in and assist him to let him know you believe in him as a franchise. No, and I think Fangio is one of those guys when we talk about you got to give a chess player to chess piece and not give it to the checkers player. I think Fangio is one of those defensive minds that he is playing chess on defense. And you give him some guys like Boye, like you said, Casey, adding what they already had with a guy like Justin Simmons. And I think that defense is going to start taking that next that next step forward. And uh, Denver, I think, can definitely do some – take that take a little bit better of a step. I'm not going to say a playoff team yet. I'm not that far. But I like what they're doing definitely for a young team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so we're going to go uh, go at it from the other perspective and uh, jump into who we think had the worst draft. So Rodney kicked it off last time. Nana, you're up. Let's uh, see who's drafted. You just didn't like anything that he did draft-wise. Man, I didn't like anything the Packers, Green Bay Packers did all draft. It might be one of the worst drafts in the last couple of years I've seen. Um, in the first round, they trade up to get a quarterback that's about two or three years away from playing. That's yeah. after re, re-upping Aaron Rodgers to a contract extension, of, I think, last year. That doesn't run out for a couple of years, too. Then, in the second round, you go and get a running back. That's supposed to be a Derrick Derek Henry clone. But last time we saw the Packers, they was getting dominated physically by the Niners. You would have thought maybe they got some offensive linemen. That was a lot they had on the board at the time. They get this running back after their running back, Aaron Jones, just had the, the best season of his career. So there's a running back. I guess he's supposed to be a chase of uh, a, a change of pace running back, but he's like about six foot two fifty. So I'm not really sure what they're doing there. I saw a stat that said 27 wide receivers were drafted in the draft, and not one of them went to the Packers. At this point, it seems like they're trying to sabotage Aaron Rodgers. They're trying to tell him. They're trying to tell him, "Yo, your time is up. Your days are numbered." You need to get up and get out of here. That's what it seemed like to me with that drive because I had no idea what they were doing that drive. All right. So two things I'm thinking. A, why does Green Bay hate free agents so much? I feel like they just never sign free agents that are impactful. And then – That's at least on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, yeah. They never just – like they're not far away from being a Super Bowl team, but it's like they're reluctant to do anything in free agency to kind of give them that extra oomph to get over the top. I don't, I don't get that. Uh, I mean, on the offensive side of the ball, it just seemed reluctant to get them, Aaron Rodgers a second target. 
like you have Devonte Adams, and I think the best the best offensive player they signed in the uh, free agency was Devin Funches, coming off an injury plague season with the Colts, and he's not exactly who I think of as in getting help for Aaron Rodgers. Why not go after a guy like Emmanuel Sanders that was out there? Why? Exactly. I, I think the biggest problem is, and I, I feel like you hear all these rumors, you hear all the reports about the type of cat Aaron Rodgers is, the way he, you know, conducts himself, the way he does his business. I feel like with him being the way he is, it's kind of like the team is, I don't know if they're trying to stick it to him. I don't want to say that, but it's kind of like, oh, you think you the man, you think you run the show. All right, let's see if you can run the show with these players. You know, if you let us do our job and pick the players that we think are going to help you, we do that. But if not, we'll go ahead and draft your successor, let you know we drafted your successor, then we're not going to do anything to help you right now. Like, that's pretty much what they did. Is Green Bay one of those teams that they're okay with being above 500 every year, but they're not really in the business of winning the Super Bowl? Because I feel like the love pick gives them – maybe another eight to 10 years of being relevant and being like a nine, 10, 11 win team, but they're not in the business of winning Super Bowl. If you're in a Super Bowl winning business, you're not drafting Jordan Love first with the first round pick. They, I mean, with that, with that said, they, they drafted Aaron Rodgers, man. You know, when they had Brett Favre, he won one Super Bowl, been to two. And I think that they, they decided, you know, let's just kind of stick on that blueprint. If we can win a Super Bowl every decade, you know, we'd be happy with that. You know, if we can go to maybe two of them per decade, we'll be happy with that and try to build on that philosophy. I guess, you know, one, two appearances with one win is probably better than a lot of teams can say that they've done over the course of, you know, 20, 30 years. For a lot of teams, I think that's fine, though. But when you nickname yourself Title Town, I feel like the standard in somewhere called Title Town should be a higher standard than making a Super Bowl appearance every decade. That's... You can't be Title Town. Title Town is New England, not Green Bay. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree with that though, because last we saw them, there were maybe I think maybe two or three players, two probably from being the Niners. So you figured yeah. you have a first round pick, a second round pick. You go out there, potentially even trade up for a CD Lamb or a Jerry Judy while they was dropping, and you might change the fortunes on your team. You were a game away from the Super Bowl. Now, I think you just went the opposite way. Now, I mean, you're going to make the playoffs because of the new structure, but I think they're probably a team that goes out in the first round this year. Oh, no, I can see that. But we're going to um, – I definitely agree. Lots of good points there. The Packers overall, I feel like, missed the ball a little bit on there. But, again, maybe Rodney's right to move for down the road that they can just keep themselves rolling to get a Super Bowl every five, ten years or so. We'll see. Yeah, if I, but, um, if I had to pick ahead. my team as worst teams – uh, as far as draft picks, mm-hmm. I, I was going – I beat up on the Dolphins a lot last, last podcast. Um, I'm not going to beat up on them again. I'm going to give them a pass today. <laughs> I'm going to let them ride today. I'm going to beat up on Philly, though. I, I'm definitely going to beat up on Philly because I feel like I, I didn't understand anything Philly did. Philly came into the year, to me, coming into the offseason – post the season needing two very important and distinct things. They needed number one, they needed two receivers. Number and second to that, they needed defensive backs. Their defensive back play has been terrible. And they came into the draft and to me they put a band-aid on a sucking wound when they drafted 
uh, Rager, and it's no knock on Rager. It's just I know they 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 want to throw that feeler out there and let everybody know. I'm going to call it feeler. They threw that line out there. Oh, we made our best effort. We made an effort to try to trade up to get C.D. Lamb. I don't Lies. think you, you made that much of an effort because teams that really want to get better, they get better. You just think years ago when Atlanta, everybody thought Atlanta was crazy when they put through a lot of draft picks out there, a lot of draft capital to go get Julio Jones, who's been a staple, one of the top three wide receivers in the league, the league since he's been in the league. And then you watch Philly just not go get CeeDee Lamb. You settle for a guy like Jalen Rager when you still had Jefferson on the board, who I think is a much better player. And you still have um, – Ayuk uh, on the board, who I think, once again, is a much better player. You had a T. Higgins on the board, who I think is a much better player. And LaVisca Chenault on the board, who I think is a much better player. And Eagles, out of all of that, they took Jalen Rager. It's like, it's to me, it just seems like a team that doesn't know how to draft receivers and doesn't know how to draft defensive backs. And then they turn around in the second round and they take Jalen Hurts. Similar to what Nana said and what you said about the Packers. If you're in a – Eagles, to me, are in win-now mode. You were a quarterback that's kind of brittle. He's fragile with a great – No, not kind of. He's brittle. <laughs> yeah, he's brittle. He's great, he's brittle. great, great quarter, great, solid quarterback. Seems like he's got the world on his shoulders. And then next thing you know, he's hurt. I know you go get Jalen Hurts, and I think the plan is, oh, we got somebody to back him up. But to me, put maybe some more protection in front of him by getting quality receivers that to throw to and then also – backing it up by have quality defensive backs that can actually stop somebody on the other side of the ball. All right, very good point. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make a quick point there to kind of back up Wentz. I feel like he has all the tools to look a quarterback. He's smart, hard working, has the physical tools, mobile, rocket arm. He has like the complete package when you look at it from afar, right? But I feel like the situation in Philadelphia, and I may be wrong, but I have a strong feeling here. I feel like he's never gonna win a Super Bowl in Philadelphia because I feel like that Foles situation completely ruined his confidence and I feel like now this again just took him to step back down I feel like they, they did a couple of things there that'll ruin any quarterback's confidence and I feel like they really messed him up mentally with the past couple of things with the Foles thing and now this move here I feel like it's going to be very hard for him to overcome that and I win a Super Bowl in Philadelphia particularly but um, I'm going to go on to my team who I think had a worse draft. And, um, I'm, I'm going to try to hold myself back here, but I really don't like anything that this team did in the draft. So I think if you ask anyone, my mom, my grandma, my dog, anyone knows the NFL right now is an offensive league. So it blows my mind that a team goes through seven picks and they don't pick one offensive player. It absolutely <laughs> blows my mind that that happens in 2020 with the Carolina Panthers. So Matt Rule to me is weird. Is Everything about his draft setup was weird. He looked confused. They picked seven defensive players. Like, they have the Chiefs offense, which they clearly don't. Um, I don't. I just feel like it's arrogant and it's cocky to go in there and pick seven defensive players in your first NFL draft. And I feel like that contract, the whole situation, that's not like anything that Carolina mm-hmm. did. They need a backup running back. They need a tight end. Their offensive line sucks. They gave McCaffrey a billion dollars, and they didn't give anything to help him or that offensive out. So, I don't like anything of what Carolina did. I, I just can't get drafting seven defensive players. And, again, unless you had Kansas City's offense, maybe. But other than that, no, nah, I, I don't like anything what, about what Carolina did. I mean, I, I agree with what, you, what you're saying, everything you just said. Um, It seemed like Matt Rule came in. You have Joe Brady from LSU, the passing game coordinator. That's the offensive coordinator now. And you just have a bunch of people that are just cocky. They feeling themselves. And yeah. this basically went out and said, this offense is good. 
We know how to unlock it. We just need some defense. We're going to outscore everybody. We just need a little bit of defense. And that it seems to be that mindset. This whole offseason, I think they probably added uh, Robbie Anderson and thought that's all we need. We good. I mean, he's going to come in and bring in some new, some kind of offense similar to what Chip Kelly did in, with the Eagles. And that's how he's going about it. And he's rubbing a lot of people the wrong way. So I agree with what you said about that drive. I'm going to disagree. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with y'all. Um, I feel like drafting seven defensive players when you need defensive players is very important. I mean, I was maybe a little bit shocked they took seven, but when you when you they took Robbie Anderson, you you ran it back with McCaffrey with a huge contract. You brought in Teddy Bridgewater. You you got uh, Curtis Samuel. And you also got the other kid, and I can't – I'm drawing a blank right now on his name. DJ Moore. DJ Moore. Who, I, who I'm a big fan of. I feel like they got really some cool. quality pieces there to work with on offense. The biggest issue they had last year, they had a third-string quarterback, realistically, playing starting quarterback. So, to unlock the offense, it was kind of limited and rural. You, We know that Ron Rivera is a defensive-minded head coach, so the offense really never, ever had a, a shot in the arm to know what they really can even do. I think they got enough talent there. They really did need to secure the defensive side of the ball. They lost Bradbury. So they did some things over there. They lost some other defensive players, Bruce Irvin, a couple other cats. I get it, but if you drive, if you draft five defensive players, I'd be like, all right, so overkill. But I don't like their offense, though. I, I know you're a Bridgewater fan. I think he's still a second-level quarterback, so I'm not crazy about him. Robbie Anderson is their big prize possession. I don't think Robbie Anderson ever had more than 700 yards in the season. And that includes last year when he had a 92-yard touchdown. So you tell me in the other 15 games he had 600 yards, basically. So I'm not crazy about Robbie Anderson either. And then DJ Moore is very solid. I do like him. But I think DJ Moore maybe had two or three touchdowns last year. So I don't think they have this explosive kind of offense that, that you know what I mean? You got to give McCaffrey a break. Like they're going to run him into the ground before they're even good. So. I just feel like you could have given a little bit of love to the offense, but I, I just don't like anything about what I don't know. I don't. I don't like Marty Herney. I don't like Matt Rules. He's like a college coach feel in an NFL program, and he keeps referring to it as like a, I think a program and all that stuff. Like it's like a college term. I, I think he has too much college in him still. He needs to realize like it's grown man. He's around now, and you got to open up a little bit, man. But maybe I'm wrong, and they they go ten and six next year and win the division, and I look like an idiot. So well, they ain't winning that division. <laughs> we, know, we know why they ain't winning that. I'm trying. I'm trying to. Be That's nice. a very sweet nice. heart thing to say. <laughs> All right, cool. So we gonna uh, take a quick break and uh, jump into a game from here, just to uh, lighten things up a little bit before we get on to this uh, more or less uh, draft t- talk that we've been doing. So uh, the first game that we got today um, is we're gonna do our uh, Capitals of uh, States. Oh, so uh, I know you guys are uh, geography buffs. Y'all want to do that. So, um, <laughs> mm. so we got uh, three states that we're going to do. You guys yes, ready? sir. Good. Uh, I'm Rod- off Rod- with Rod- geography. Good? Go nah, it's easy for me, <laughs> man. Off. It's a layup. Uh, man, it's a cop-out. But all right, listen. So we're going to start out with uh, the great state of Illinois. What is the uh, capital of Illinois? Chicago. Springfield. All right, who said Springfield? Who said I said Chicago? Chicago. I said Springfield. All right, so now that's one for one. Springfield it is. All right, so next up, we're going to go to uh, West Virginia. Ooh. 
Morgantown. Morgantown? All right, what you got, Rod? Marshall. <laughs> you said, man, I have no clue, man. This is this game is lame. <laughs> this game whack. God, nah, I want my money good. back, man. I'm giving me that dog. Uh, <laughs> All right, so we over two on that one. So we're gonna go uh, last one. See if we get a tiebreaker here, or Rock can tie it up. Let's see. We're gonna go with Mississippi. Man, Jackson. Man, listen, man. <laughs> I'm gonna say Mississippi mudslide, man. Nah, I'm gonna say Jackson, Mississippi. All right, now that you took two out of three, give me my dub, man. I hope y'all keeping count, man. Listen, I don't get paid to uh, to know geography. My profession is completely different, so I have no. Yo, I, I told y'all the first episode, man. I did this, man. That's how I became a Titans fan, man. I did this. My, ge- my geography is all off. Ask me some other questions. That's not my strong suit. Yeah. <laughs> nah, nah. I feel you. I feel you. All right. We're going to uh, jump into a topic. It's going to be a real quick real quick topic that we're going to do, and then we're going to move on. Um, Being that this is a 75% Titans production, Um, what do you guys think about Tennessee's draft? Would be I'd be mad if we didn't bring it up for a quick minute. So, what uh, would you guys feel about it overall? All right. Don, I'm going to go real quick. Um, <sighs> with absolutely zero bias when I say this. This is just speaking from the true sports fan in me. Um, as anybody would, you never you never think a, a, a lineman is a sexy pick. Well, Raja, you made a good point. You build teams, and we all know it to be true. You build teams in the trenches. Losing Jack Conklin to Cleveland – and you pick up Isaiah Wilson. I think that was a beautiful play there. And I love everything else we did. We got Christian Fulton in the second round and so on and so forth. I thought we did a heck of a job in this draft, man. Um, The first two picks, you get two starters. Um, Isaiah Wilson comes in and start right away. You have Christian Fulton start right away. You push a door to the nickel. I like what we did with the back running back in the third round. But after that, I didn't really like anything we did. Um, we left a couple of chess uh, piece players on the board that I thought were solid players. KJ Hill lasted into the seventh round. Somebody like Bradley Anang lasted to the fifth round with the Cowboys when we need pass rush. As of now, Clowney hasn't come, so you might as well stack up on the pass rush. So I think our first three picks were solid, but after that, I think we fell off. All right, so um, I'm probably going to lean more towards Rod where I definitely liked it. I feel like we had a couple needs. We needed to get a backup running back, which we did. Needed a right tackle of the future, which we got, and we got a slot corner, which I feel like could eventually move to the outside. So I did like some of the moves that we did. My only complaint would be that we didn't get a backup quarterback, in my opinion, because I, I, don't, I don't trust Woodside. And that Hawaii, the, the kid from Hawaii, I feel like he's more of like a gadget athlete type player than a quarterback. So I'm a little shaky by our back and quarterback, but overall, I'm a, solid. And I'm a sp- I just got to go speak ahead. to a couple of things that Nana uh, disre- – I know he's disregarded kind of the second half of the draft, and I just want to speak also to the quarterback thing. Um, we drafted – from round three back, for the first two rounds, you said you gave that to us, Nana. Mm-hmm. Darrington Evans, running back out of Appalachian State, perfect change of pace back for Derrick Henry. Perfect. Speed brings pop to the game. Was ex was a former wide and, receiver catches the ball very well. Exactly what we need as a team behind Derrick Henry. You don't need the same style of back. You need somebody that can add a little bit of a change of pace. No, 
I mean, I definitely like the first three picks. It's after the first three picks that I didn't like anything. Then I love Laurel Murchison out of NC State. I love him. NC State? I love him. Like, I think the biggest, probably one of the bigger knocks on him is just sometimes he gets lost in the shuffle. He's got a little bit shorter arms. He gets lost in the shuffle sometimes. But he's got good pop. He's got solid pop. And he got great hustle, man. Like, that's a nice little pick to replace a dude like Austin Johnson. Um, and then Cole McDonald, he can spin it. He's just raw. Like, he's a raw dude. He can spin the ball, solid arm, good talent. I mean, not to beat a dead horse, I do think it's a lot of solid little pieces we got here, though, man. All right. So, um, last question before we move on. Um, do you – what's your confidence level if – Hopefully this doesn't happen. I don't want to put it out there. But if Tannehill got hurt with throwing Woodside in there, uh, my confidence level is zero. Zero. One to ten. Zero. I mean, if I if I had to be realistic, maybe three, maybe three. But I I see him okay. play a couple of times, and I have no confidence in the guy. Um, my bad. Ryan, what'd you say? If I had to really go give him a grade, I'm gonna say a one, man. I don't have no faith in that dude. All right, I'm gonna give him the lowest grade of us because I'm gonna say a zero. I got nothing. There's nothing I ever seen to make me trust him going forward. So that's why I'm a little uneasy because this it's, it's never a good feeling when you put yourself in that position. But if Tannehill goes down, that's gonna be the Titans' last dance of the year. So hopefully that doesn't happen. So we're gonna uh, jump over into speaking of a last dance, we're gonna jump over into. The last dance, and um, we're gonna he- head into um some of the topics from my episode one and two to start out things, and then we're gonna move on a little bit. So I feel like the first big topic of um the last dance from the the first and second episode was um, if you guys were the GM back then, um, who would you have picked realistically? Would you have went with Jordan or would you have went with Bowie? And we all know hindsight's twenty twenty, so I uh, leave your hindsight out of it. But what would you have done back then if you were in the movie? If you were Chicago. If you were um, on that clock, yeah. Well, I would say before you get to Chicago, because um, Portland had a choice. They already had Drexler, so they feel like they didn't need Jordan, so they took Bowie. But if you were uh, Portland, what would you I mean, it's the league was a different league back then, and they all they believed so much in big men. Was the man in college at North Carolina? Like college, realistically. And then they chose Sam Bowie over him. Like, I just think big men, as we know, the history of the league, they don't last in the league that long just because of they, they go through different types of injuries they experience. And their recovery times are oftentimes longer. I don't want with Jordan, man. And I'm not even trying to be biased and kind of knock it. I just – I never really would choose the big men over a guy who's middle size that has that type of athletic ability and scoring ability. I mean – you saw Jordan play in college, and you could tell he had that natural ability. Me, personally, when it comes to drafting, I would have did the best player available, and you find a way to make it work. I know they had Clyde, the Glide already on the team, but I pushed him to small forward. Um, he was like 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, he could have played small forward. Um, but my problem is not necessarily even with Portland. Um, you have to blame – I think I blame the Houston Rockets. Man, the Houston Rockets had uh, – the first pick, and they pick Olajuwon. Yeah, Olajuwon became a Hall of Famer, so nobody ever talks about it. But you, when they, they picked Olajuwon when they had a, a guy named Ralph Simpson, Samson 
who who was a Hall of, Hall of Famer too. He was a beast in his day, and they picked who they thought was the best player available, and they had a twin towers similar to Duncan and David Robinson, and they made it work. Now they didn't win a championship or anything like that, but they were a solid teams through the eighties, through the nineties, and nope. I mean they won two in the nineties. So I think you just pick the best player who you think is the best player, and you find a way to make it work some way somehow. Okay. All right. So I think going back, looking at it at the time, um, I'm probably the last two, uh, the last person left on these two hills I'm about to mention. But I'm the only guy that selects a big man in basketball, and then I'm the only person that selects a pocket quarterback in football. Me and Bill Belichick <laughs> are the last people to select pocket quarterback. So, uh, I, the the only reason, so the only reason why I would have went Jordan at the time is just because Bowie had missed his junior year of college. I think it was with a with a, uh, the injury. I don't like big men switching their foot injuries or any type of persistent nagging injuries. That's the only reason why I probably wouldn't have took. Um, I wouldn't have took uh, Bowie, but if it wasn't for the injury thing, I think realistic, I probably would have. I would have been the person to miss out on Jordan, to be honest with you. So but, I feel like I would have been. But we're not talking about Sam Boo is in college playing like Hakeem or playing like Patrick Ewing, anything like that. He was serviceable. He wasn't worth a number two pick. He was a. He got picked on based on his size, not of any production. Even Kentucky he was just having foot injuries back to back. He was averaging, I think, like maybe ten <laughs> points a game. Like he wasn't good. Nah, don't do that. His sophomore year, he was like eighteen, nine, and like. Jordan was averaging twenty something a game, man. He was cooking. Was... But Jordan also was taking a lot more shots too. Though. And then you all sleeping on Bowie. Bowie did go play with the uh, the U.S. Uh, team at the time. They didn't play in the Olympics. Yeah, it was. It was like some protests or something. But but they played a bunch of games, and Bowie was like the second leading scorer on the team out of all the people, and he was number one in rebounds and blocks. I mean, we think about him now as a bum because he didn't really, you know what I mean, come out too much in the NBA. But for back then, he was pretty solid. No, he was solid. At the time. I'm not saying he was like a shacker or nobody I, like that, I, but he was solid. He was, he was solid I like before he I got mean, hurt. I just, had, I just like what Jordan was in college, not even thinking about what he was in the league. I just like what yeah. he was in college. And if I was the Rockets, I would have drafted Elijah over Jordan. At that time, that was the one player I did think because he did. He was so skilled and he was just so smooth around the basket with the ball, man. He had a, a knack for putting the ball in the basket. When you got a guy that can do what he was doing, it, it made sense to take the big man yeah. with that much skill. Bowie wasn't Elijah one. So that's why I would have taken Jordan over Bowie, but that's why I would have took Elijah one over Jordan at that time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now that makes sense. Uh, you broke that down definitely. So, uh, speaking of um, me down on the big man hill, I think this next player we're going to talk about is one of the players that changed the landscape of basketball going forward. He kind of um, created a position of sort. He switched them over perimeter game, and uh, he became the ultimate uh, tag team partner for Michael Jordan. So, uh, in episode two, they focused a lot on uh, Scottie Pippen. And um, basically, overall, how valuable do you guys think Scottie Pippen was to Michael Jordan and to the Bulls and the Phil Jackson and everything back then? It, is, is, man, they, they, you know, everybody likes to coin the phrase, you got Batman and you got Robin. I think that Batman and Robin, yeah. he was the first guy, in my opinion, to take away the Batman and Robin stigma. And it was really like, it was like a symbiotic relationship, man. Without you, I'm no good. I don't exist. I need you to be good. Like, I think that Jordan needed Scottie Pippen because we saw what it was like when Jordan mm-hmm. was there his rookie year and he didn't have Scottie. 
and it was just a a bunch of losing players, guys with the mentality of not being able to do anything, not that athletic, not that skilled, and they just had a losing mentality. And then next year they draft Scotty, this athletic dude coming out of college ready to go who still needed to learn the work ethic behind the game that Jordan had, but Scotty had all the tools and he developed them. So I think that he was invaluable, man. I think that dude was uh, one of those guys that was a cornerstone piece for uh, a championship caliber team. Man, I agree with everything Rod said. I, I do one better, man. I rate Scotty Pippen. Like, he's one of the top 15 players all time for me. And wow, I'm, I'm on, telling man. you, come on. you got a guy – you got Come a guy on, every night took on the best player de- defensively, one through four, and most of the time got the best out of them. You saw last episode, it was him. When they made a decision to go to him to guard Magic Johnson, he nullified everything Magic Johnson did. That's how they win, They won the series. You got a guy that could put up 20 right. and f- seven and five each night, and then... Not consistently, though. Not consistently. When he was at... It, on a hot night, he's getting you 20. He no, I'm saying he has the ability. He didn't have to because of Jordan and the, the, the system they played. But he had the ability to get you that. But we also got to think about the era in which basketball was played. Like, getting 20 points getting, – getting 15 points then is probably like getting 28 now. It's just mm-hmm. – it's a different style of play. And what you were asked to do was completely different. There was hand-checking involved in the game. There was a lot of fouls that went uncalled. It was a lot of really good defense. Like, so games, it wasn't, there were games that broke 100, but breaking 100 in the game was less common than not. It was teams came and played hard basketball. And I think Scottie Pippen was that guy. Like he said, I don't need to score 20 a night when I'm taking my guy and I'm limiting him to less than what I'm scoring. He's one of the top guys on the other team. I think that's an invaluable asset to a team, man. It's not that many teams in the history of the league that can say, yo, you go stick their best player, hold him down, and it'd be great at everything you do on the other side of the ball as well. I get that. I can't rank a guy top 15, though. That's probably not even top five at his own position all the time. So you're telling me the other 60-year history of basketball is not 10 players better than that guy? It's not even top five at his own position? I find that hard to believe. I, 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 I mean, you're going to have people that's going to rank people like James Harden. When it's all said and done, what – no, no, no. I'm talking about like small forward that position he plays. You got heavy hitters that position. You got LeBron. You got KD. You got someone like Kawhi is going to go down. That's eventually he's going to pass someone like Scottie Pippen. And in most people's eyes, he probably already passed Scottie Pippen, but eventually he's going to pass him if he didn't already. And then you got someone coming like eventually like a Giannis. And then you got I'm going to go back to like back in the day. You got some other players like it's just he's not a, even a top five small forward man. You got guys like Worthy all that play that position. I can't. He, if you're gonna put somebody like that again, I ain't see worthy, but you put somebody like those people, I don't, he's not a top five of his own position. So, like, how's he gonna be a top 15 player? I, I so, I think a lot of times, I think that's, a lot of a times, you get caught up in numbers, and you're gonna have players like James Harden that when it when you when it's not all numbers, said and man. done, uh-huh. it's gonna have probably top five offensive numbers ever. But you got a player like him that'll put up 40 any night, but end up going to the other side of the field. And giving up thirty five to like a Bradley Bill or something. So, yeah, but the dudes I'm naming though are different though. Like Worthy and you know what I mean LeBron and KD yeah. and them dudes. Like yeah, 
that, that's a different level, man. Those dudes are alpha players, and I don't think. I th- but but helps, I think man. the that's biggest difference. Position. I think the so biggest difference is the error in which they played in. I think Scottie Pippen is losing credit, losing credit because of the error. He's a victim of the error he played in, and the team that he played on, he had a specific role. Like it wasn't until you know, obviously Phil Jackson came in and he, you know, mm-hmm. behind his mentor and started running the triangle offense. And the triangle offense was meant to spread the ball. Obviously, you mm-hmm. had one predominant player in Jordan who was mm-hmm. who was able to score the bulk of the points because they still had to satisfy a superstar. So Scottie Pippen did a lot of dirty work and took the back seat to scoring. So it was cool with him scoring 14, 15 a game because it was for the betterment of the team. So if you take Scottie Pippen and put him in a lead role, what would he have been scoring-wise to be able to put himself amongst the elites, if you will? Like, so he doesn't get ranked in your top 15, but I can understand why Nana puts him in the top 15. And I can understand your argument because you're saying, regardless of those things, you're saying, at the end of the day, he don't have those numbers. He don't have the athletes, in your opinion, to reach to, to impact the game the way you the think impact. that he needs to impact the game. But but when Jordan was gone to play baseball, you saw Scotty put up numbers. He put up twenty plus points every night. So he had the ability to do it. And I'm, it I'm just glad. he never had to do it with Jordan did. But he had the ability. I'm glad that you brought that up though, because when Jordan left and it was Scotty's team at the end of the game in the playoffs, they were drawing up plays for Tony Kukoc and Scotty Pippen though. So that, that's a knock on you, man. You can't be a top 15 player. Game's on the line. The coach is drawing up a player for the C player on the team. Like, you're a top 15 player, man. The ball needs to be in your hand. To nah, you can't put that on. Phil Jackson going to draw up the best player regardless. The, 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 no, come on, man. If you're the top 15 player in the court. Phil Jackson yeah, came in and took the ball out of Michael Jordan. The best player's hand. I think this, said we're going to triangle. I think this one we got to agree to disagree on, man. I think that y'all both got y'all points. I think this is one we're going to have to pull, like, the fans on one of these days mm-hmm. and see what everybody think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Nah, that's definitely. That's true. All right. So, um, we we all agree that Scotty's definitely one of those dudes that, you know what I mean, if he wasn't there, Michael and Phil's legacy would have been completely different because we all know what he brought to that organization, that team, and what he meant to that city. So, Scotty Duffy's one of those all-time great players. What do you guys think about his contract overall? The uh, I think it was a five year. It was seven years, eighteen mil, million, man. Right? That was, yeah, no. Because he gave a two for um, year. It's so what do you it's a twofold problem because depending on what side of the coin you on, you the organization. If you want to, you know, you want to stick true to the code, and you say, well, you signed that contract as a man, you got to honor it, you got to live up to it. That's that's playing hardball. Um, if you Scotty Pippen, you like. You know, like his words, the reason why he signed the contract, he had a big family. He needed to take the guaranteed money. God forbid he got hurt. He outplayed the contract. The right thing to do would have been to pay him at least some additional money, do some different things, renegotiate at least the back end of the contract. They didn't. So at the end of the day, although unfortunate and messed up by the Bulls, which I thought was messed up, I thought they should have paid him. Um, He signed the contract, man. And he, he had to live up to it. He had to live with it. Man, I mean, like I get the whole signing the contract and you have to live up to it. But when a guy like outplays that contract ten like ten times, you, you have to come to the negotiation table. It's not acceptable that Scottie Pippen was the sixth highest paid player on the Bulls behind guys like Luke Longley and Ron Harper. He was the one hundred and twenty second 
<laughs> oh, sorry. Yo, I know these numbers, but it's just like every time I hear Luke Longley, man. Nah, no, it's not acceptable at this point. It's it's not acceptable. He was the hundred and twenty second paid player in the whole league around that time. Like you trying to tell me you could name uh, like maybe what? Let's say a hundred players that deserve to be paid more than him. All right. All right, so when you do a contract, though, right, do you do it for business or do you do it like, you know what, I feel like you're going to look me out when the situation goes wrong, right? You can't have it both ways, though. He wanted, he went to them and asked to get a contract to give up his ear. So he's giving up his, his leverage because he's going to them, though. And then you can't have it both ways because you can't want the contract when you want it and then also get it redone again when you want it. Though. That's not how business goes because then that's a Scottie Pippen's naming the shots for when he wants to get paid pretty much. You can't do that. So if they tell him and his agent told him and the organization told him, like, it's a bad deal, and you still say, hey, I know it's a bad deal, I want to sign it, then you know what, man, I feel like it sucks, but you you wanted that money, you begged for it, they told you not to do it, you went against everyone's advice and did it, I don't really feel bad for him, I feel he got what he deserved, like, yeah, those dudes made more than him in the end, but when Scotty signed that contract, I think it was 1990, in 1991, Scotty Pippen didn't make the All-Star team, and he was a 13th highest paid player in the NBA, so who won on that deal that year? Scotty did, right? The Bulls paid him money to be an all-star. He didn't make an all-star team. He still got paid like all-star player. So, again, a contract go back and forth. You're going to win sometimes. You're going to lose sometimes. But when you sign that paper, man, against advice from your agents and everyone, I feel like that's just bad business on his end. The, I'm not gonna my my last point on it. Bad at business. I'm going to say the Bulls, I think I think you could have came to like a, a almost a, an agreement, man. We can, we can kind of meet each other halfway. And I, I'm not even going to say halfway. They could have even met him 90-10. If the Bulls would have just voided the last year of his contract and re-upped him, I don't think Scottie Pippen would have pulled the antics that he pulled. I thought that was fair on his part. I mean, he did, like you said, I agree with the fact that you signed the contract, you came to him, you requested a bigger deal, but it got to the point where in the seventh year of that contract, you know this dude is invaluable to the team. At that point, do the right thing because you got six years out of him off of his own, you know, at the time, young, naive, a little foolish maybe, not knowing not knowing what he knew now. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But I think the organization at that point could have came to him and said, yo, look, all right, we made you wear this for six years. All right, the seventh year, we're going to do right by you. Uh, I mean, I look at it like this. The Chicago Bulls before Scottie Pippen weren't winning nothing. This is a city, like, if you saw the documentary, teams were barely going, I mean, people were barely going to the games before Jordan got there. This dude helped bring, the second best player in your team helped bring six rings to a city that haven't won nothing before then. When you have six rings, you're bringing money in, not even from the NBA, but from all other things, all other aspects of, you know, society and business. You trying to tell me you couldn't renegotiate such a key member of your team that without him, y'all couldn't win because y'all had a chance before him and y'all didn't win. Do you all know what the cap was back then, though? I don't know what the cap was, but if Luke Longley is making more than you, it don't even matter what the cap was. The, the cap was $10 million back then, man. And we're, we're, look, we're looking at now from our perspective, knowing how contracts are in sports nowadays. Contracts in sports back then are totally different, though. Like, for example, back in the 90s, Chris Webber, as a rookie, got a 15-year contract as a rookie. So the contracts, the cap was totally different back then. The contracts are totally different back then. It's not as easy. I think 
you guys are like, yo, he's unpaid, which I get. He is. I, I, I definitely agree with that. But the contracts, the cap, everything about back then was done differently, man. Like, it's up to the player. I think a lot of it's on the player. Like, David Robinson played back then, and he had a contract that every year he doesn't have a, he didn't, he never had a set salary. His salary every year was the average of what the top two highest paid players in the league got. So, I think the contracts, we got to look at the rules were different back then. The cap was different. Everything was different back then. Mm-hmm. I think we're looking at it from our perspective in 2020 mm-hmm. with all the rules and CBA and all that stuff in place. We're like, yo, that's ridiculous. But I feel like the situation was a lot different back then if you really look at it logistically. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they could have done something, but we got to remember it's completely different. Like, I think, think you rushed Ricky, your like, case, man. Right Jury now, has spoken. year contract. I, think you, I mean, it, I think it, he, that, he, he's right, but they showed a graphic that Jordan was making 33 in last year. I, I, I think Scotty was making like five or something like. That's unacceptable, no matter what cap it is or what era it is. That's Michael Jordan making 33 and Scott Pippen making like five or seven or something like that. The gap was not that significant for him to be making that much less than uh, Michael Jordan, regardless of what era or what the salary cap was. All right, definitely. I feel, I feel like good points made on both ends, definitely. All right, so we're going to move on next into the probably um, the most interesting player on the team, and uh, Dennis Rodman. What do you guys think uh, his legacy is today um, and even while he was playing? Because like, there's a couple different phases of his career. You have Rodman from Detroit, Rodman with the Bulls, Rodman later on with San Antonio and some other teams. So what do you guys think like overall him, legacy is like, when you think of Dennis Rodman? Watching, like, as a, you know, you watch the Bulls, nine years old, getting ready to be 10. And you don't get to see, you don't kind of, as a 10-year-old, you understand basketball, you get that part, you get the aspect of it, but you don't get the adult level, levels of the game until you become an adult and you start looking at it. The best part about Robin was the Bulls actually, he was never himself until he became a part of the Bulls. Like he, they allowed, they, they pretty much like let go, of, they let a dove go, essentially. And he became who he wanted to be. Right. So I, I love that about it because I feel like had they not done that, maybe that dude is dead on the side of the road somewhere because he wasn't mm-hmm. he wasn't even able to be who he was. Like he had the one the one night he goes out on they give him 48 hour leave. My man's gone for over a week. And <laughs> he, just, he, he took an inch. But they knew and the the irony in all of that was they get him back. They they have to pull up, they pry him out of bed. He's, he oversleeps for practice the whole nine. He comes to practice. They're trying to gas him out because Phil Jackson's goal was, I need to get this dude in shape. So we're going to run Indian runs is what they call it, which is kind of a ladder drill, for lack of a better, nothing nothing tour or negative tour, in, indigenous people or anything like that. It's just a specific thing. It's a ladder run where the, the, the rear person has to pretty much piggyback and run to the front of the line and you kind of keep rotating. So you're chasing people. So the goal, Michael Jordan said, we're going to try to go slow because Rob and I pretty essentially Rob is not going to be in shape. And he's like, it took us four laps to catch this dude. That's how dedicated to what his craft was. He was the, the amount that he studied and put in the book. He was just different. And I think that the bulls finally let that different person be himself. Okay. Okay. I mean, Rodman, okay. the, I can't speak too much about Rodman, uh, the person off the court, but as far as Rodman, the player, I think he's one of the most underrated players in NBA history. I'm not going to rank him any how or anything like that, but... I will say this. I will say this. He is the best rebounder in league history. 
And when I say bag, I, I'm talking about for his size, he's the best rebounder. I'm not talking about Will Chamberlain, who just had sheer size over everybody else. I'm talking about a guy that was what? Probably Dennis Rodman's what? 6'8", six, 6'9", six, best? Um, I, yeah, I, I don't even think it's a, I don't even think it's an argument. The, okay. the soft rebounds that people get in this the NBA today was not that rebounds Robin was getting 12, 15 boards a game mm-hmm. in a time where it was physical, it was nasty, it was undersized. He he specifically tailored his craft to be a defensive rebounder, and he dedicated his life to that. That yeah. you saw him in a documentary. Yeah, we saw in a documentary he described the signs behind rebounding. He said he had teammates go out and shoot the ball and see where the angles and how it deflected off the rim and where it came from, all that kind of thing. That was fascinating to watch um the other yesterday to see this guy describe rebounding. And on top of that, David Aldridge, the reporter, longtime NBA reporter, said he was the best <coughs> on-ball defender he'd ever seen. The t- tenacity to dive after lose balls. I think those, he don't get enough credit. I mean, those bad boy Piston days, he was in there rebounding, playing hard defense. I guess because the stats behind the – he didn't have enough points. Sometimes he got 15 rebounds or 20 rebounds and had zero points. But he knew what his role was, and he did it very well. All right. Definitely some good points there. All right, cool. So we're going to get into um our second and last topic of the day. And I think the guy, in my opinion, I think is the most important piece of the entire Bulls dynasty. Now, Phil Jackson, do you guys One word, the greatest yes. basketball coach of all time? Yes. I'm going to take it a step further. And I'll say in my – that I can think of, I think he's the greatest coach in any sport that I've seen personally, period. Ooh. I, think, I think I respect Phil's. that, man. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. all I can do is say two words is yes, greatest coach of all time, and then respect as far as the greatest coach in all sports, all time. Yeah, no, his, uh, his resume is up there for sure. He did a did uh, yeoman's work with um, Manjin. I think a lot of people feel like, oh, he has great players, but those ego and his personalities and the stuff you talk about, Robert, Robert getting 72 hours. And Jordan saying up front, like, listen, he's not coming back in 72 hours. Right? We know he's not coming back. So get your team from off that distraction and then coming back and winning the championship with his job on the line, them telling him, like, yo, this is your last year, no matter what. Like, all the things he went through and it's still more times than not pulled through. I think he won 11 championships and – 18 years or 19 years, I think that's incredible, man. You probably never want to say anything like that again. So yeah, I definitely, I definitely uh, agree with you guys. Um, I think the only person I might even have an argument might be Bill Belichick, but apart from that, he's the greatest coach in probably sports history anywhere. Yeah, no, definitely he's a great coach. All right, so we're going to wrap up this second to last topic here. We're going to do a quick game, and then we're going to jump into the final segment of the day. All right, so our next game is we're going to play a game. I'm going to give you guys a couple of hints. I want you to guess who the athlete is, and we'll see how you guys do, all right? So this one's sports later, Ross, so no excuses, man. Last time was TV shows, and uh, today was you're not good at geography, so this one's sports. We'll see. We'll see. All right? All right, cool. So our first athlete, uh, first hint is in, uh, Richmond, Virginia. Um, 
final guess? Yeah, that's guess? my final guess. I mean, that was easy. Right, that was cool. mad right. easy. That's man. why Come you on, didn't man. get it. We're going to the second. Come on, that's why you man. ain't get it. Come on, that's why you ain't can't do that. <laughs> Next question, please. Come on, man. Next question, please. The haters are going to hate. <laughs> All right. This, the second one is this player Siakam. went to the University of New Mexico. No. Um. What sport? Mm. What sport? You want, me, you want me to give you the next hint? Uh, 41 and Ooh, a half career sacks. 41 and a half career sacks. New Mexico. What team? Mm-hmm. If I give you the team, you're gonna get you it. Give the team. Oh, last break. Yo, that's for both of y'all. Oh, oh, I got, I got an Erlacher. Nope. Any... All right, Erlacher, it is. All right, so we're one one. All right. This next uh, player is born in Central South Carolina. Um, Tavon DeAndre Hopkins, the first wide receiver drafted in his class. All right, cool. Two one nine so far. All right, this next one, he went to uh, North Carolina University, has over Danny Gray career three pointers. Vince Carter. And it's... Oh, nope. come on, man! That boy don't want nothing. Yes, he don't want nothing to do with me, man. He don't want nothing to do with me. Taking so many punches. Bro, come on, man. You got to redeem the show. Oh, man. Bro. Oh, man. <laughs> all right. So, this next one and last one is uh, he's one of 10 pitchers all time to win three Cy Young Awards. Um, He has 170 career wins, and he led the league with 300. Randy Johnson. Runs. And I can give you another hint if you want one. Oh, um, uh, it's a current player. Give another hint. Roy Holiday? Nah, he ain't current. Hint? Rest in uh, peace. No. Oh, I was nah, thinking. Nah, nah. I'm so, thinking. Uh, uh, current yeah. player. Rest in peace. Won the World Series. This Verlander. Time, this past season, his team won the World Series. Oh, his team won. Oh, what's no, the name? No, Scherzer? no, His team lost. So, other team. Sir, I'm, I'm bad. You know, Scherzer. I'm bad with baseball. Damn, you don't even get right? me started. Nah, man, I don't, don't make no excuse for that, man. Nah, nah, I'll let this. you win, man. Yeah, yeah, I'll let you this. win. You, you heard him after he gets Iverson. <laughs> I, let, I let him get this dub. I let him get this He was hype after Iverson. I let him get this dub. Yo, stop. All right, we going to jump in, man. Roddy, you to this last topic of the day, man. Um, Jalen Green, um, how do you guys feel about how his decision impacts the NCAA going forward and um, best, other sports? Rod, we need a best performance man. decision Trust sports has ever made in the history of sports. Outside of, outside of the only better decision I think that was made is when they introduced women's sports. But best decision I think ever made for sports uh, is a twofold right. thing. They snatched the. Right. Go ahead. Okay. Can I ask better you a quick free question? Agency. Better wow. than free and I'm gonna tell you why because you got you got <laughs> here's the here's the issue that you had and this is what the door that they closed on these players was the reason why they stopped letting people go from high school to the major leagues was these what happens when these what happens if these kids go here and they don't make it they get hurt they never went to college blah 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 now. They figured, 
oh, instead of that, we're going to fix this problem. We're going to not only offer you money coming out, but we're also going to pay for you to go to college in the event that you want to go back to college. So now you fix the double whammy. A lot of these people are coming from areas which are lower on the socioeconomic um, scale in society. So they don't have the means or the funds to just go out. Well, Jalen Green doesn't necessarily fit that mold so much, but the average kid that's playing in college is coming from a lower lower place on the socioeconomic totem pole. So they need the funds. And on top of that, it's not that they don't want to go to college. They're skipping college because they need money. The college is making money off their likeness. They're making billions of the billion dollar industry in college sports in general. And these players get zero dollars from it. Don't think it's ever fair. So I think it's the best uh, decision ever made in sports. The fact that they allow these kids to go skip um, college in the, the front side of it, but they're allowing them to go get it on the, to get money, but they're allowing them on the back end or sometime in the interim to get their degree. I mean, I agree that is a monumental uh, decision in sports history. I don't know if it's the best ever, but I like the fact that a kid like Jalen Green could get that opportunity. The problem I have is you now you have to set uh, requirements for certain players because not everybody has the talent level of a Jalen Green or even the body uh, maturity to go play in the G League, which is sometimes made out of people that were in the NBA and had to go drop down for whatever reason, whether it's injuries or whether they're trying to get back in the league. So you're playing with grown men most well, of the time. It's, it's no requirements, though. Similar to the same way it was when you were good coming out of high school. Easy to A, you was going to get drafted because you're good enough, or B, you going to go to college. So no, I feel like the G League is going to take players that they think are good enough to come in and play that can skip college, and they have the ability to probably have. So essentially, the, the it's just a segue between the college athlete the high school athlete who was good enough to go straight from high school to NBA, as we know many former players were, and the, the college athlete, I mean, a high school athlete who doesn't have the ability to go directly to the NBA, they need a little bit more development. That person goes to college versus this person goes to the G League, gets paid to do the job that they would do in college for free, and then they also get the segue right into the NBA in that one year. They get money to, to pay, help their family, and so on and so forth. I have a couple questions. So, all right, so I have, a, I have a couple questions. So I think what Nana was trying to say is this rule only applies to certain players. In my opinion, it probably only applies to mm-hmm. like top 15 in your class. That's pushing mm-hmm. it. If you're not a top 15 player, you probably don't have a big enough brand. They're probably not going to be interested in having you there anyways because the name doesn't carry. That's my first thing. My second thing is if you're probably a top 15 player in your class, $500,000 sounds great, yeah, but those kids are probably getting more than that to go to Duke or North Carolina. Let's be honest, behind closed doors, they're probably getting more than that. Like I remember, I think Ben Simmons said he had got like three Bentleys, two houses, and like a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of jewelry. So he's probably got, I think he said he got over a million dollars worth of stuff to go to LSU. So we got to look at it like, yeah, the 500000 sounds <clears throat> up front. Maybe the marketing deal might be the the thing that may be the deciding factor. But, but if these kids are getting a hundred Best money you ever get in your life, though, is money you never have to look then, over your shoulder for. So, any yeah, time, but I'd rather $500,000 worth of clean money versus a million dollars worth of dirty money. And the only reason I say that is some people might say, you, you sound foolish saying that. No, because 
your name, you get one name. You get one time to make a first impression. You got one time for people to respect who you are. Your character is your character. You never get an opportunity to, to, for the most part, to recreate your character. No matter what Mike Vick does, or no matter what certain guys who've ever gotten in trouble ever done, they can change, revamp themselves. People are always going to look at you wrong or what you've done that was incorrect because your character is what you do when nobody else is watching. Not so much what you yeah. do when everybody's watching you. So when you take yeah, that dirty money behind closed doors, man, people are still going to look at you as, man, what else would you do for, for money? I mean, I think the problem you have is it, you have to set a hard line, bright rule saying top 10 or top five because the G League is also looking to make money and expand their brand. The reason why you have a Jalen Green is for the people to come to uh, G League games and see a player like that. So now you have a situation where they might get somebody like Leandro Ball, not because he's a top five player in his class, but because this, his name carries weight. And yeah, he might get five thousand, five hundred thousand, or whatever. But he probably was better off going to college and going to play for maybe someone like, let's say, I don't think he's that talented, but let's just say Coach K or something. Being a, uh, he probably could have. So he could have went to Duke. Went to any school got maybe choice. three years at Duke. Now yeah. he's coming out and he could make potentially more money instead of the five hundred thousand that he took from the G League, washed out at the G League after a year because after a year nobody wants to see you no more because. You know the the name the name is gone because you didn't really do nothing in the G League. Well, people get tired of you. The G League they let you play for some some period of time. There's guys that stay in the league, G League for a few years. At the end of the day, it's to each his own, man. I feel like if you going limit the way you going to handle the G League, I think it's just like it'd be similar to what they do for a college factory. Essentially, you saying you putting these limitations on these players based upon personal preference. Let these dudes choose what they want to do with their lives, man. Like you, when if if somebody gives you a scholarship, let's say to go to uh, med school, it to me it's unfair to you going to mess with somebody. Said, well, you only can go to that school over there if every school in the country could potentially want you. But they're saying we're not even letting you even look at those schools. You only go to schools on the East Coast. It's like, all right. So I, I think another thing though is, um, what if let's say. Because we all know they're going to waive the one-and-done rule soon. Yeah, if so they waive the one-and-done rule and let these dudes, then, they, they, you know, I think that it'll it'll they're still give these kids the opportunity who maybe aren't quite ready to go right to the league, to go to the G League, make a few dollars, you know, move on from there. And maybe their career blossoms. Maybe it doesn't, but in the process, they got paid to play a sport that they wasn't otherwise getting paid, at least legally, uh, in college. I mean, I, I just I, I really hope so, they don't waive that one and on, done uh rule. I mean they're definitely gonna waive it, but I think I think it's bad because like Rodney said it, earlier, a lot of these people are coming from backgrounds where family they're getting pressure from family members or wherever. They might not be physically ready for what happens in the league, but they're chasing money and they have to take care of family members. One and done, so they're coming from high school straight into the league. They're not ready, but not any and everybody. You don't even have to be a top five in your class. You could be a three star, and you think, I right, forget it. Like I'm, I'm instead of going to Duke for a year or two, I'm just gonna go straight to the league. I might get, I might get picked in the second round, but that's a, at least still some kind of money to take care of my family. And you are gonna have too many of those players that wash out after a year or two on somebody's bench. All right. So what if the NCAA kind of kicks back at the NBA and say, hey, you know what? Before, if you entered 
the um, draft process and you sign with an agent, you can't go back to college after that. What if they switch and they made it like the NHL? Because for college hockey and NCAA, you can go into the draft, and if you decide you get three days after the draft, you can go back to college if you decide to. Um, you got drafted. What if they switch and they made a rule like that? I, I would. Because they're going to do something. They're not going to sit back and just let the NBA punch them and they're not counter punch. They're, it's business. They're going to they're gonna fight back in whatever way. And that's just my random idea. Maybe they even have a better idea than that. But I'm just thinking, what if they did something like that? As a counter, because they're going to counter punch. That that was fair. You give the guys an opportunity to live life. I mean, if you got the opportunity to essentially say an 18 year old person can go to war and nobody says, you know, nobody's trying to make it dictate what you should do here, they don't say, well, man, you're only 18, you shouldn't go to war. They say, oh, go ahead, man, you want to fight for the country, respect that, it's an honor. And I do think it's a completely different thing, it's a much higher level of respect in terms of that. You know, for what you're doing for the country, you're fighting for the country. But I think with that saying, that's a very high level decision, I think, to make for a person. So on a much lesser scale, you're telling an 18-year-old kid, don't go take millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars when maybe you don't have the opportunity to make that in your life. I don't think we should put that hard on anybody. If somebody wants to go make their money, go make your money. No, definitely. So, so it's going to be interesting to see with the uh, one and done rule probably being enacted in the next year or two. I think California recently made a rule starting like 2022. I think that athletes and that still will be able to earn money off their likeness and all that stuff. So I feel like definitely down the road, they're going to make a one and done rule go away. And I feel like the NCW is going to come back in some way and say, hey, you can enter a draft and come back. Because I think last year they said like 84 players underclassmen entered the draft, only 40 got drafted. Those other 44 to 45 were now can't go back to college and they didn't get drafted in the NBA, so now it's playing C, which is either go play overseas or go play somewhere random. So I think there's going to be some more backlash from the NCAA side down the road with, when they uh, come up with a good enough plan. So it'll be interesting to see what happens for sure. But um, overall, good topics today, good debate. Um, we brought the heat once again. I feel like um, it's another episode that man, we, we appreciate uh, it, man. I love, love the love from all today. the people. You know, all I can say to them is, man, like, subscribe, share with your mom, your uncle, your dad, your aunt, your baby mama, niece, whoever it may be. Five stars. Rate, review, and subscribe. YouTube, Apple, don't matter. Spotify, IG, Anchor, anywhere. All right.